Hey everyone and welcome back to Pucks and Pages. My name is Steven. That is my book, Loving Life, Liberty. We're a married couple with different hobbies and we like to bring each other into our interests by discussing the latest news in both books and sports. And this is this week's book episode. The better of the episodes. That was my best Oprah Winfrey impression. Oh, is that what that was? Yeah. Episode. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what that is either. Yeah, but happy less than a month until Shadow and Bone comes out. Technically not when we're recording, but when the episode goes live, it's less than a month until Shadow and Bone. Okay, I was like so confused. I'm like, I know that there's a show coming out of that, but is there a new book? And then you clarified that for me. So I'm glad we cleared that up real quickly. Yes, the show comes out April 23rd. So by the time this episode goes live, it's less than a month. I'm a little sad that I am not going to have read these by the time it starts. Well, if you want, you can read them and then watch the show. But I will watch the show like I planned on the day I'm taking off to watch the show. I'm a little hurt, but that's understandable. I've been a fan of this series for years. You don't got anything on top of that. I don't got anything on top of that. You're right. In the actual news side of the whole book thing we're doing here, a Peter Pan live-action remake from Disney has started principal photography in Vancouver. Peter Pan and Wendy will have Alexander Maloney playing Peter and Ever Anderson playing Wendy. Captain Hook is going to be played by Jude Law, which I thought was crazy when I heard that. I feel like it could be good. It just depends on how well they portray him. Yeah, it could be good. They just have to not mess up. Yeah. And the film's director is Paul W.S. Anderson, who is known for directing Resident Evil Retribution, Mortal Kombat, and Event Horizon. So he sounds very action-y, director. Yeah, there's really one good movie on that list. <laughs> so we'll, we'll see how that goes. I guess so. And, you know, there have been a ton of films and books based on the novel by J.M. Barry, so this is just another one of those, but I hope it's good. Peter Pan is Peter Pan, obviously. I think this particular director is going to do it maybe a little darker, which I think might be great. I think that would be nice. Because realistically, that's kind of the way the story is supposed to be. It's not supposed to be like Disney's adaptation of like, ooh, everything's shiny and pretty. Well, this is still going to be on Disney, so yeah. who knows. Yeah. But I've never actually read the Peter Pan story. I found a beautiful copy when we went to Shakespeare and Company in Paris, but I didn't buy it for some reason. Probably because I had a stack of 10 books already I was buying. There's never enough books. Agreed. But then <laughs> I found the Mina Lima edition of Peter Pan, and I bought that online. So that is sitting on my TBR. Maybe I'll read that soon. You should. It's really good. That's one I've actually read that you have not read. Yes! The one out of how many books? Millions. And Disney Plus has greenlit The Crossover, which is based on the best-selling novel by Kwame Alexander. It is told in verse and is about a 12-year-old boy and his twin brother who are phenoms on the basketball court. I don't know why we didn't talk about this in the sports episode because it's a sports book. Well, but it's a book. Josh and Jordan have a lot of growing up to do on and off the court. And the pilot episode will be written by the author as well as Damani Johnson. Directing will be George Tillman. And they're still looking for actors to cast in the show. So it's still a long ways off, but it's been greenlit and it's taking steps. It's fitting considering March Madness is going on right now. I didn't even think of that. That's how little I think of sports. We didn't even talk about it in the sports episode, which is awful. But ugh, I maybe I'll do like a quick short thing I record later in the week about it and talk about the crazies. But yeah. It has been a crazy week. It has. But let's go back to books. Yes. Because we're in back the book to books. episode. You know, lately you never know where you're going to find Dolly Parton. And uh, up next for her is a comic book based on her life. I don't know that I'd want to read that. But... The comic is from Tidal Wave Comics and is set to release on March 31st of 2021 as part of its Female Force series focused on women who make an impact around the world. Pretty fitting. Yeah. Given everything. Writer Michael Frizzle said in a statement, Writing about Dolly was a joy. Her creativity, philanthropy, and humanity are legendary. 
And she joins the likes of former First Lady Michelle Obama, singer Cher, women's rights activist Gloria Steinem, and nun Mother Teresa. Pretty good company to keep. Yeah, not bad. Apparently, there's also a Tennessee ice cream shop doing an ice cream for Dolly Parton, but it's local, so I don't think you can get it everywhere. And the last bit of news is news that actively makes me want to cry. Which everyone needs in their life, I suppose. I don't know that that's the case. Prince Harry has channeled his own experience with losing his mother into a foreword for a book written for children who have experienced the loss of a parent or loved one during the COVID pandemic. But he didn't lose his mother during the pandemic. He lost his mother to an assassin. He's he's talking about how it feels to lose your family. Gotcha. It's a lot. The book Hospital by the Hill tells the story of a young person coming to terms with the loss of their mother, who was a frontline worker at a hospital. In the opening, Prince Harry says, If you are reading this book, it's because you've lost your parent or loved one. And while I wish I was able to hug you right now, I hope this story is able to provide you comfort in knowing that you are not alone. He then goes on to discussing losing his mom. Yeah. The book is being released to coincide with Britain's National Day of Reflection and will be free of charge to any child in the country who has been affected by the loss of loved ones during COVID. It's good. Yeah. But, like, reading everything that, like, he was saying about it, like, I started crying yesterday. I was like, oh, good. I'm going to cry on the podcast. (laughs) Thankfully, I haven't. Yet. Are you going to try to make me cry by the end of the episode? It's not a goal, but, you know... You make it sound like it's a good thing if I start crying, so like... Well, it's a sad, emotional book, so a little bit. And then for our last tag of this half of the season, since we're going to take our break in two weeks, and the next episode is going to be talking about April releases, this will be our final tag for this half of the season. I decided to do some bookish and non-bookish questions. Okay. So I found a bunch of things to ask you. All right. The first one is, do you keep track of how many books you read? And if so, how do you keep track of all your reading stuff? So yes, I do keep track via Goodreads, but I have very few of them notched on the list. Did you mark the last book you finished on Goodreads? Because as far as I know, the progress that it shows on your Goodreads is that you haven't finished Mockingjay. I haven't yet, but that's because I wanted to wait until the episode was recorded at least, so... That's weird. Um, Yeah, well, it's my brain. So welcome to it. Well, I said yes. I have multiple spreadsheets for like what's on my TBR pile and book trackers for what I have read for the year and like my reading schedule because I have a schedule because I'm that person. You also are part of a book podcast. So if you're not organized, it's problematic. So I kind of understand. The second question is, what's a language you would like to learn to read its untranslated literature? I said French because that's the only language I have some sort of, like, history with learning. So you're just saying, like, one that would be translated to English? Like, no, what language? What, or? what is a language you would want to learn so you could read its work without having to have it translated? Um, just because of my family heritage, I'd probably say German just because, like, it would be interesting to read some of the things that, like, maybe my grandmother read when she was a child. Like Mein Kampf. No. Not like- <laughs> You're a monster. Like, that's awful. That is not anywhere on my choice of lists of books to read. I hear it's actually pretty educational as to his psyche, but, like, that would be the only reason I would ever read that book, just to understand that level of crazy. But, yeah, no. (laughs) That was funny. Whether you believe it is or not. Awful. What is the most interesting book that you have read? For me, my answer is The Wrath and the Dawn by Rene Audier, but also you've got like Passenger by Alexandra Bracken. That was a fast-paced book and kept me hooked the whole time. Because I take this to mean like what's kept me invested and interested the whole time I was reading. And I think those two are really up there for me. So I think the book that was the most interesting for me, and it's because I'm a little bit of a science nerd, was Rocket Boys, which has had a title change, and most people know it as October Sky. They made a movie about it. But I read 
two out of the four books that he did a memoir series about himself it was written by homer hickam who was not one of the early early people in nasa but like before nasa was like putting up normal shuttles and that kind of stuff um he grew up in the era of like as a child of the era of when nasa was first trying to even get things into space sputnik was a big thing for him as a child and so that kind of stuff always kind of made me a little bit of a nerd and i played with rockets as a kid so i kind of relate Sounds boring, but all right. It's actually really good. Different strokes for different folks. Yeah. So the next question kind of leads from the other one, and it's, what is the most boring book you've read? If I had read that series that you're talking about, that would be my answer, but I haven't. I actually don't think you would not like it, only because it's kind of YAE in the sense, but it's based off of history. So like that might be the only thing that bores you a little bit. Historical it's like his fiction life is not story. my jam. It was not fiction. It's Historical books are not my jam. Yeah, but it is like relationships that he's building as a kid with like a group of friends. So like, I don't know, you might enjoy it. But most boring book, I don't know that I've really read one where I've been like completely bored. I would say there's been a few books in like the Rainbow Six style storyline from, um, gosh, what's his name? It's gonna drive Tom me. Clancy. Tom Clancy. Why did I know that? I don't know, but my brain didn't go there. And the first book itself is a, like, it starts off really, really slow with like flashbacks and flash forwards, like going back and forth. And it's just like, oh, this is so boring because you're not getting enough of one or the other. Like, it's not oh, okay. well done. Like, the uh, last series that we read, gosh, I'm blanking on that right now. Which The Villains Duology the villains by duology. V. Schwab. Yes, sorry, I'll v. just Schwab. answer all your questions. Clearly. No caffeine today equals sleepy brain, so sorry, guys. But, yeah, I, I would say that was probably one of the more boring books just because it started so slow. For me, I wanted to say that my most boring book that I've read is The Vacationers by Emma Strau. But part of that might just be how recently I read it. Like, that was the first book I read this month. Right. But at the same time, like, nothing happens and, like, the tiny blips of things actually happening go away because there are no consequences for those actions. So it's like, this isn't even a character study. Like, this is just, like, plodding along. Right. What is the last movie you've watched? trying to think of what it was i know we, we watched almost it together. never watch movies in yeah movies. we're we're very much tv show people well for me i said a christmas movie that was still left on the dvr from this past christmas that might be mine too just because i don't i don't really watch movies too often and i was trying to pull up my recently watched on netflix but it's not being nice to me because i know i've watched one or two more or less recently like the last one i can really remember was like patriot day with mark Wahlberg. Um, oh, okay the one I had watched, I watched this past week, it was The Christmas Proposal. And that sounds bad enough, but then it was the one from Lifetime, and, like, Lifetime Christmas movies just aren't the same as, like, the Hallmark Christmas movies. Yeah. And sometimes that's good, but this time it was very bad. I give that movie two stars out of five. Okay. What is the last song that you listened to? It was a song by Logic. I don't remember the exact song because I had it on shuffle. It wasn't something that I was really okay. like, particularly going out of my way to listen to. Unless you count the music we listened to this morning, but I really wasn't listening to it. I was just driving. So. Well, my original answer was Nobody, No Crime by Taylor Swift because I really only listen to music while I'm editing the podcast. Yeah. And so that was the last song that played when I was editing last week. Yeah. But... Then I turned on Christmas music this morning while we were going out for breakfast, and then the weekend was on at some point. That's the last thing I remember. Yeah, I can agree. I think that was like the last song that we really listened to. It was like right before we pulled back into the complex from our breakfast run this morning. So. Yeah. Who are two characters you would want to do an Easter egg hunt with? <laughs> Isn't that a great question? It's a weird question. I love it. I don't really know. I don't know that I really would, like, out of all the books I've read, I don't think there's really one person I'd be like, let's go Easter egg hunting, bro. <laughs> I think it would be fun with, like, maybe Finnick just because of his, like, smart, alecky answers and, like, comedy. I feel like him and I will get along for that reason. So oh, maybe yeah. Finnick, I guess. I don't know. What about another character, says to you? I'm not sure that I really You have. should pick someone from a completely different series because that'd be hilarious. 
Maybe, like, one of the Weasley twins, I feel like, would be, like, a good addition to that group. Maybe the one still alive. Yeah, well, yeah, but... <laughs> but Finnick... That was dark. <laughs> Finnick also isn't there, so... Yeah. Anyway, we'll get to that later. Just picking all the dead people, you know. Yeah. It'd be great to go looking for Easter eggs with dead people. You would get all the eggs. I would. My first answer is Luna, because she's distracted pretty easily, so I'd probably get more of the eggs. So, like, if it was the ones that were filled with stuff, I would get more stuff. Yeah. And I said, maybe Inej Gaffa, because she could get all the really hard-to-reach eggs. If you knew anything about Inej, you would know that's a solid point I made. But since you haven't read it, just know that was a good thought process. Got it. I'll believe you. Mm-hmm. What is a book you feel is really intelligently written? The villain's duology. I think it's written very well. That was my answer as well. I don't, I can't take anything away from it. I think just the flow of the series was done so well. And it's literally done in a way like I was literally complaining about it when it's not done right. Yeah. As one of the most boring books. So like it could have been horrible. But it's done really well. But it's perfectly timed for almost everything. So I specifically chose Vicious by V.E. Schwab instead of Vengeful because I feel like it was more impactful for me when I first picked up the duology or what is going to be a series. Because I feel like with multiple timelines and the way the information is sort of disseminated throughout the novel for the reader as it's necessary, instead of giving you all this information at once, it's done really well. I think it's funny we both came up with the same one. I'm not saying that there's not other really well-written books. Like, they exist, but... Yeah. Who is your favorite fictional mother? Uh, Miss Weasley, obviously. Like... I said Molly Weasley from Harry Potter. Come on. Is there even another answer to this question? <laughs> I can't think of any off the top of my head, like, really that quickly. Like, I think Katniss's mom goes through some stuff and... Yeah. I don't think she's a great mom. I think a lot of the, like, depression and stuff she struggles with kind of hinders her ability to be a good parent. Right. But, like, I feel like she's been through some crap. So, like, that's the reason she has the depression she has for obvious reasons. And and to watch your daughter be basically sacrificed twice, like... It's a lot. It's not easy to deal with, I would imagine. I said another option for me is Maura Sargent from The Raven Boys... Because she's like this quirky and weird mom, which, you know... You like. I, I vibe with that. Right. But obviously the correct answer for anyone who's ever read Harry Potter is Mrs. Weasley. <laughs> Duh. Although I can appreciate Narcissa Malfoy because, like, especially at the end of book seven, you really see, like, what she's willing to go through for her son. And, like, I think that's important. Yeah. But, no, she's still not up there. She's still a Malfoy. Yeah. What is your most anticipated book this spring? I don't know that you have one. I don't. You're just reading what I hand to you, basically. That's not true, but... Almost. Yeah. For me, I said either The Box in the Woods by Maureen Johnson, which is book four in the Truly Devious series, or a new book by an author I've never read from before called Lycanthropy and Other Chronic Illnesses by Kristen O'Neill. Okay. It's like this magical realism book about someone who's a werewolf and things happen. And the author is on Tumblr. And if you read her posts about the book, you're like, oh, yeah, I'm down for this for multiple reasons. So, like, it should be good. I also requested it on NetGalley and I have not been approved, but I haven't also been disapproved. That's not the word. Denied. That's the one. Yeah. I haven't been denied for that either, so I I would like to either get approved or not. As for what I've been reading, yet again, we have a whoopsie-daisy week. A daisy whoopsies? Yes. Yeah. Because I read three things and not two things. So I finished King of Scars by Lee Bardigo. This is a backlist from 2019. I've talked about it a couple times now. It's book number one in the Nikolai duology, and it's either a YA adult something fantasy Mm -hmm. i say it's an adult fantasy but other people shelve it as YA. i rated it 4.5 stars after i read it the first time i think the second time i would probably put it down to a 4.25 maybe okay because i love lee bardugo's writing so even if i don't love where the story went the writing is done so well and like it's my kind of humor and i really enjoy it it's very dry 
This takes place several years after the Shadow and Bone series. We see King Nikolai Lantzoff struggle with his inner demons and Nina Zenik having her own mission for Ravka. And I feel like that's the only way I can really explain it. Gotcha. It explains it pretty well. Yep. And then I continued on with my reread of the Murderbot Diaries. I read book number two, which is Artificial Condition by Martha Wells. It's a backlist from 2018. It's an adult sci-fi. And the first time I read it, I rated it four stars, mostly because it's just not long enough for me. I like Murderbot a lot, but I don't love how short all of these are. And I feel like this was a common complaint. That's why book five ended up being 300 plus pages. But I wanted to make a quick note here that I accidentally last week, one of my last statements about this series, I had gendered Murderbot and Murderbot is specifically not gendered. So like, that's my mistake. I didn't mean to do it. In my head, Murderbot reads with a more masculine tone. So sometimes I slip up and say that Murderbot, he does this or he that, but in reality, they have no gender. Okay. Because it's a bot. I don't think we got any feedback about it, but I'm sure there, whoever listens is probably happy you corrected yourself, I guess. Well, I caught it during the edit, so I thought I would just say it. Got it. We continue to see Murderbot travel through the galaxy trying to figure out what happened in the past to cause them to disable their governor module. We kind of get into some sketchy territory about what's happened in the past for Murderbot. And a book that I got from NetGalley and I was super excited for, but kind of let me down, was Rogue Untouched by Alyssa K. Whitney. It releases on May 4th. It is part of the Marvel Heroines series. It's a new adult fantasy slash sci-fi. Like, I don't know how mutants would go, whether it'd be sci-fi or fantasy. Right. Because it's kind of magic, but it's just a mutation. So it's sci-fi. I don't know. I ended up rating it three stars, which means that for me, it was just kind of good, but that's about it. Yeah. And it's Rogue's origin story that takes a different tack than the comics and the movies and the TV shows and goes in a different direction. So it's basically not following any canon. (laughs) I mean, some things are canon compliant, but some things aren't. And Mm. I liked that it felt like... an. 19-year-old rogue who got to be, like, rougher than I've seen her in the movies and TV shows. I haven't read the comics, so I don't know. But I enjoyed that aspect, but there were some things about it that I felt were trying too hard. Like, they were trying so hard to make it set in Mississippi that it felt like a characterization of Mississippi and what an outsider expects out of like a small town in Mississippi and like country bumpkins and all so this. So it got you that type feeling or like what? Was yeah, it that bad? I mean, they, they included a lot of dialect things that I feel like wouldn't happen that frequently because I'm from a small town in the South, Southish. Yeah. Some people consider Oklahoma the South. Some people don't. Whatever. But, like, people aren't really like that. Or at least not to that extent. Right. And it was just done up a lot. I feel like part of the reason it got a three and not lower is because I do have some sort of, like, nostalgia for X-Men. And, like, particularly Rogue and Gambit, who are the two main characters in this story. So, there's that. But also, there was a problem with... The way the mutant powers worked wasn't explained well enough. And a lot of the time, what I found is that the author basically acts like the reader already knows everything they know about the X-Men universe, which is why I said in my review that it feels fan fiction-y. Right. Like, there's not enough world building and you expect people to just know everything you know about X-Men. And that's not going to be the case. Like, even if they love the X-Men comics, they're not going to understand the things you pulled from the movies or the TV show or vice versa. So, I mean, I don't know. I think if you like X-Men, you're probably fine. If you specifically only did the movies or the TV show, you're probably going to be fine, but not as good as if you would read the comics as well, because that's what the author stems a lot of this from. Gotcha. But that was a decent number 
of pages to read because the King of Scars was 500, the artificial condition was like 150, Rogue was like 350. So that was pretty... It's a pretty high page count for the week. Yeah, considering I usually only want to read like two things. And what's crazy was you were done with it early, if I remember correctly. So like you had extra time. Well, I finished all of those on Friday. I was done with all of those by Friday because on Friday I received a book I wanted to start on Saturday. Interesting. So technically what I've already started but part of my what I plan on reading next is Namesake by Adrian Young. This is a new release. It just came out this past Tuesday when we're recording, so like two Tuesdays ago when this comes out. It is book number two in the Fable duology, so it's the wrap-up. Yeah. It's a YA fantasy novel about a girl named Fable and basically this takes place after a bunch of stuff from the first one, but she and her crew are finally free to trade and live as they wish when complications arise and Fable has to deal with more secrets from her family's past. Exciting. Well, it's very piratey and yet there's fantasy elements to it and I feel like it's really good for this time of year. Like we're getting into spring and so everyone's getting very excited for spring and summer because they spend a lot of the time out in the sun and the ocean and stuff like that. But I've technically already started it. I'm almost 30 percent of the way through as we're recording this whoopsie daisies so there was a lot of whoopsie daisies but i'll finish that this week and then get started on truly devious by maureen johnson i'm rereading this for the fourth book coming out it is a backlist from 2018 and book number one in the truly devious series it's a ya mystery about a girl named stevie bell who goes to a remote boarding school in Vermont where a kidnapping took place in 1930 and she attempts to solve it while spooky things start happening on the school campus now or the present timeline of the story. Right. So that is very exciting. I'm ready to reread the series because I haven't reread the whole series since book three came out. So I want to pick up on things that I missed the first couple times I read Truly Devious. Yeah. As for what you've been reading, you finished Mockingjay. I did, and now the Hunger Games trilogy is done. What do you think? It was what I hoped for the second half. Very actiony for you. Um, yeah. It, I don't feel like it was like constant action, like I was expecting, but okay. it was definitely faster paced than the first half of the book, and yeah, I appreciated that just because there were times where I was reading the beginning of the book, and I was just like okay, this is important. I need to push this into the back of my brain and remember this. I kind of already knew what was going to happen in the ending, so that kind of got ruined for, well, like nobody ruined it for me. I just kind of put the pieces together and knew what was going to happen as things were getting put together. But I feel like considering these books are written for younger people than me, it makes sense that I'm able to jump to conclusions of endings of books, which is sad because like, I'd rather really enjoy the ending. But I did still really enjoy the ending, so even though I knew it was coming, because it's what I wanted to happen. So it worked out. Where did we leave off last time? They were trying to crack the nut. Yes, they were about to, yeah. They successfully do by creating an avalanche and burying everybody more or less alive. Which was Gail's plan. Go figure. That, That dude's got some serious problems, as we learned in the back half of this book. I really think he's just a good strategist and he's very good at coming up with tactics that work. It just might not might not make him a great person. Yeah I can agree with that and then Katniss kind of gets that opportunity to give herself a chance to kind of win over the people from inside that are escaping. Yeah. She gets shot and That's kind of where you leave that situation. Right. So she is trying to talk to the people as they come out of the nut and get them to lay down their firearms. And it starts to work on one guy when someone on the peacekeeper side who is still in town shoots her, catches her in the rib. It ends up cracking her ribs. Yeah. Because of the armor she has on, it doesn't actually go through. Yeah, it... I don't know. It was a weird moment. I definitely didn't expect it to happen, obviously. I think it makes sense that, you know, while your rousing speech might work on some people, it's not going to work on everyone. Well, especially people 
that have over and over again proven their loyalty to the capital. So, yeah. like, we shouldn't be shocked by this. It it starts to get really interesting, I feel like, more so when you get into the city side of things, when they're in the capital. Well, before that happens, though, she has to go through her training yeah. with the military in 13. With Johanna, which actually was pretty entertaining. I mean, I thought it was pretty entertaining despite having gone through a basic training before and not liking to think about that. But I enjoyed their relationship and how they sort of develop better together while they're going through this. Yeah, because at at the beginning of it all, they're at wit's end with one another. And in turn, when they're going through it together, they're like, we got to do this together. We're both victors. We can handle this. Right. You know, and if we can't do it, nobody else can. And but the thing is, everybody that's already in that class is already doing it just fine. And then it comes up to the final exam. Johanna fails because they push some mental health buttons on her. Yeah. That kind of mess with her. She actually gets triggered as that word is actually supposed to be used and has to go into the hospital. Yeah. Katniss passes hers, which I'm not shocked because she's the main character. She's supposed to. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, it was just like, clearly it was pretty complicated nonetheless. So Mm -hmm. she had some feats to defeat there. But then she finds out that she's part of this star squad and all they're really doing or going to be doing is shooting promo stuff and not really getting into the action, which is what she wants. Which is crazy because they're supposedly the most accurate shots. But let's just waste her talent. Yeah. Yeah. That's also how Katniss feels about it. Yeah, I think that's how pretty much everybody in that unit feels about that, Uh, including Boggs, I would imagine, who's supposedly like the right hand soldier to President Coyne, so... Yeah. And they finally get taken into the outskirts of the capital. And basically, the filming crew's there. They're there. They're just going through the motions of, like, wiping out stuff on the side streets that doesn't matter. Until something gets activated and League 2 or League 1 dies. Two, one survives. Okay. You did skip over the fact that PETA randomly arrives, even though... Well, he arrives to replace League 2. Yeah. So that happens after... But when he arrives, that is a storm of its own. Yeah. Because he's still not mentally well enough to really be a soldier. And he really shouldn't have been going through soldier training and or trusted going with onto weapons the near people that he wants to kill. Right, yeah. And so they keep a guard on him, take away his... Do they take away the weapon or do they just remove the bullets? They give him blanks. Yeah, okay. Yeah. They actually give him a gun, but it's loaded with blanks. Yeah. This way it still like shows like he's firing the weapon and nothing's happening. Mm-hmm. Well, and supposedly this is because they want to show him as well as Katniss. United against the capital. For the propose. Yeah. And that was just a mess because they're filming in an area where it's supposed to be mostly harmless and just a lot of glass and a lot of the smaller things going off yeah but then he has an attack and ends up attacking someone else yeah and it activates things that were not on the map right so we end up losing bogs yeah and someone a side character whose name i don't remember at the moment i don't either if it makes you feel any better another one of the members of the unit though not mitchell no it might have been mitchell Okay. And at that point, kind of all hell breaks loose because they don't really know what's going on on that street anymore because these traps are kind of just popping up out of nowhere. Boggs hands over the hollow to Katniss, and his second in command is just irate that she didn't get given the hollow permissions. And there's kind of that internal strife between the two of them. And then Katniss basically drops the bomb on them like, listen, I have a mission from President Coyne. And Boggs and I were the only ones that knew about it. That's why he gave me the hollow. Yeah. And we need to get going so that we can get this done. But all that was kind of preluded by, like, this black wave of, like, this... The way I would describe it, like, tar-like substance, more or less, yeah. it sounded like. Because they were able to walk on it once it stopped moving. All the action happens in the street. They go into an apartment because they see this black wave cresting. Yeah. And the street activates all of the different things by the wave Wave going through. And that happens while they're in the apartment discussing, like, give me the hollow. No, I have a mission. And, like, Katniss trying to get everyone to do what she wants them to do. Completely bluffs them into this fake mission that hasn't existed at all, so. Yeah. And you have multiple appeals for, like, 
Peta wants you to kill him so that he doesn't cause any more destruction. Mm-hmm. And that whole thing is a mess. Yeah. But in turn, everybody agrees to kind of continue along with them. They end up going out a back door, if I remember correctly. I believe so. Through the they could avoid the cameras from the main avenue. At a certain point, the Capitol ends up filming them, like, just obliterating the apartment that they went into. Right. And then, like, literally catching it on fire at a certain point and going, well, we'll figure out how many of them we killed, but we're pretty sure we killed them all on the inside. There's no and way anybody could live through this. The funny part is almost immediately, Coin has her own thing to televise about remembering Katniss and all this other stuff. Yeah. A little too prepared, probably. That happened a little too fast, but... Well, you gotta think they probably already had something like that pre-recorded, but... Yeah, but why? You were already expecting a, to kill her? There was a chance that she could die, yeah. you know? I, I think was more the reason than anything, but yeah, it definitely didn't make me trust Coin any more than I already didn't. Yeah, and they end up realizing they need to go underground. And so they go from one apartment to the other, have to kill someone to use their access tunnel and go underground. Yeah. When they get underground, that's like the really creepy part for me. Yeah, because it's operated by Avoxes underground, firstly, which is already kind of strange, as Mm. it were. Is it Pollux? Is that right? I believe so. Is the Avox who's kind of leading them through everything underground. At one point, they just take a stop so that everybody can rest because they've been walking for so long the reason though that they went underground is they realized that there were less traps that were activated or actively working in comparison to what they would be if they were like walking down the normal streets so like pretty smart decision there i guess and when they wake up they're hearing a hissing sound coming from outside the door saying katniss's name yes and it turns out to be these weird alligator looking mutts yeah who can smell her and sniff her out. And that's real creepy to me. Yeah. And they weren't anywhere near necessarily where they were. They could hear it in the distance originally. So like they immediately were like, everybody up, let's go, 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 go. Everybody get out of this room that we're in, you know, that we try to rest in. And then it starts to kind of go to hell in a handbasket in every direction that it could possibly go. Yes, you're losing people left and right because of the mutts, because a bridge goes out. Traps. A bunch of different traps. And at one point, they're on one side of the bridge. And a bunch of the mutts are trying to get over to get to them. So two people are trying to, like, hold the line for Katniss. And so she and a bunch of other people can get out. One of them was my boy, Finnick. Not yet. Almost not yet. Okay. Because then when they start going up the ladders, that's when you lose Finnick. Yeah. And a couple other people. So by the point that they actually get away from these things and they're out of the sewer system and all that, you only have like a handful of people left. Yeah, Gail, Peta, Katniss, and Pollux, if I remember correctly, right? Cressida. Uh, Cressida. Yeah, Pollux was one of the sacrifices. So you're right about Pollux. It was Cressida, Pollux, Gail, Peta, and Katniss. So only five people out of the original. How many people in that platoon? At least a dozen. So, yikes. Yeah, it was not a good run. And they end up hiding out in a safe house with Tigress. A cat woman. Yes, a literal cat woman. Yeah. She's been surgically altered, which is creepy. Yeah, she was really creepy originally because she wasn't like even talking. It was just more of like gestures yeah and it's like okay you're already creepy why aren't you like meowing or something like because only kittens meow she's not a kitten anymore our cat meows she's not a kitten yeah and they're trying to figure out what to do and they know now that the capital hasn't found a lot of the bodies so they realize that a lot of them are still alive at that point yeah So they decide that they're going to try three different avenues to try to get to the capital and split up. You have Cressida and Pollux who make one team who are going ahead to like... Scout ahead for safety makes sense considering they're probably the least known. Well, and on top of that, you realize that they were in the capital a lot, capital citizens, so they they know the way around. Blend in, yeah. You have Katniss and Gale who are going to be a team, and then Peta is on his own. (laughs) The poor broken shell of a man. It kind of makes sense that 
he was though because nobody trusted him at that point really like yeah. they, they were gaining trust in him but it wasn't like Pete is our boy yet you know and obviously as desperation sets in the capital is just letting these traps go off galore because the rebels are getting closer and closer to the city center so much so that Katniss and Gale end up getting caught in one yes and they get separated. Gail is brought Caught. into an apartment that looks like is full of peacekeepers. Yeah. And so he thinks he's caught and gone for, and she is supposed to shoot him when that happens. Like Yeah, but she couldn't either. The whole deal was if he can't take himself out, she's supposed to take him out to keep him from being tortured by the Capitol. Right. But she can't do that. She's not in any kind of situation able to, yeah. Well, she also just could not piece it together to do it. Yeah. Mentally, she couldn't do it. But she ends up making it to the lawn of the Capitol, where there are a bunch of children who are supposed to be placed in the Capitol since so many Capitol citizens have been displaced. Yeah. And they were supposed to be taken in for safety, and they are supposed to be allowed to sleep there and so on. Yeah. And we find out that... That's not the case. Well, that's supposed to be the Capitol's plan. But then you see a aircraft with the Capitol seal on it. Yeah, the hovercraft. That ends up dropping a bunch of bombs. And when we see a bunch of healthcare workers come in to try to take care of them, the rest of the bombs go off. Yeah, they're in the same shape of like the parachutes from the actual Hunger Games themselves. So the kids are actually reaching up to grab them as yeah. they're being exploded. Because to them, these parachutes mean help, safety, help, comfort. And so for them, especially being capital children, like they love the games, they watch the games, they wouldn't think anything of this. Right. And this is kind of where, for me, it triggered that there's no way this was the Capitol's decision to do this. Yeah. Even though I know, like, at that point in time in the book, I'm like, the Capitol should be the enemy. Because it's like, A, at that point, if you're defeated, what is the point? The rebels are there. There's nothing that's going to save you at this point. Like, you're, you're boxed in. So you're asking why the Capitol would do this? Yeah. They're not ones to sacrifice their own people. They're ones to sacrifice people from the districts. So that's kind of where I was like, I don't believe it. Mm -hmm. And I know I'm supposed to be like, ah, the capital's evil. How dare they do that? Like, because as a child, that's probably the way I would have thought. Mm -hmm. But because I sadly wired in the way that Gail is, my first thought was, wow, the rebels are really trying to put on a show. Well, and Gail is the one that came up with that sort of tactic tactic but that doesn't mean he was the only one to have that line of thought either so at this point it's kind of questionable well i didn't think gail was responsible for it that much is for sure i think him and bt's like whole theory on the thing that they were trying to keep hush hush from katniss earlier in this half of the book was definitely what the capital used the idea behind not necessarily like the parachutes but the theory of the attack at least or not the capital, but the uh, rebels used as an attack. I'm sorry. Yeah. But at this point, Katniss is close enough that the bombs near her catch her on fire. And when she wakes up, she's getting medical treatment. But she's also dealing with the grief over losing her sister, who is one of the medical teams out there. Yeah. And so she spends a lot of her time at this point mentally disoriented again, like what we saw in the first half of the book. And dealing with grief and loss and injuries. Yeah, I think, like, the only saving grace was really having her team back in the capital to kind of, like, make her smile at least a little bit because... Well, and they're putting her back together physically so that she can be used to kill Snow. Yeah. And then you see the scene where she is just kind of wandering about and she goes to this hallway and sees two guards just standing there behind the door as she's walking there and she goes well I want to go in like she could smell the roses that President Snow is notorious for having. Yeah because she wanted to pin a rose on his lapel whenever she went to Kill shoot him. him with the arrow. Yeah. yeah. But instead of just roses she finds the man himself in his rose garden. Being held captive. Yes. And that was a scene let me tell you. I feel like a lot of that was like him mentally just messing with her but at the same time a lot of the stuff he said it's was true. true or could be true. Yeah. 
and it kind of makes her realize that the capital probably didn't do this. It was probably the rebels. But she doesn't know anything definitively. Yeah. And she probably will never know anything definitively. And she just associates the tactic for what was done right in front of her very eyes with the tactics that she saw Gale and BT, BT discussing. On. Yeah. And so for her, that attack is always going to be a linked to, to District 13, to Gale, to BT. Yeah. And before they go to kill Snow, they decide to gather up all of the leftover remaining victors, which it's not a lot anymore. No. And discuss something that they had voted on in District 13, but no one came to a consensus with, which is, should there be a Hunger Games as retribution using capital children? Yeah, not only capital children, but people that were like high up in powers, capitals children, so like, like Snow's granddaughter, granddaughter right. and people who were definitely on the capital side, their children. Yeah, Peta votes against it. Johanna votes against it. I believe you had basically Katniss decide the whole thing, so they decided there would be another Hunger Games. Yeah, which I don't know that i would have trusted katniss to like go there because well it was hamish that had the final vote that wrapped it all up but he voted, he voted based on how she voted how she spoke about it right so basically she decided yeah and like i couldn't see her as a character doing that that felt very out of character for me uh, i can and i can't so like i i understand the perspective of the fact that like she's literally been abused by the capital for so long and maybe it is the right thing to do because, like, she had that internal battle where she was like, maybe people voted on this originally when yeah. they casted out 13 to, you know, do this and this and this, you know. So I kind of get it, like, a little bit from her perspective. She just wanted to keep the peace. But we've seen her discuss in books one and two about not wanting to bring children into the world where they could get sacrificed this way. So as far as like what's happened in previous books, that's completely out of the character her, for her to vote this way. The only reason I could kind of understand is losing her sister so recently and because of the war, I could see her being angry and being grieving. more willing to do this based on what just happened with her sister. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. But then as she's taken out to kill Snow, she has a lot of different thoughts running through her head about, like, who the real enemy is and, like, the way Coin has treated her and the way that if you're not choosing Coin immediately for the presidency of the district and the, the enemy, capital, more or less. you're her enemy. And yeah. so... Instead of shooting Snow, she shoots Coin, who's on the balcony watching. Yeah. And Snow is just standing there laughing after uh, that happened. Laughing and coughing up blood because he's yeah. dying as well. Yeah. You have the, basically by the end of it, the two of them dead on the stage. Candace retreats back into herself while she's waiting for like judgment or to get shot or killed or something for what she just did. She even thinks about becoming one of the morphlings and just being a drug addict wasting away to the point where she dies yeah. yeah but what ends up happening instead is that she's ruled mentally not uh, incompetent um basically marked as a crazy person more or less like she was not mentally she, capable of making she's the not decision. responsible for her actions because she wasn't all there mentally yeah there's an exact word that they use but i can't remember it to save my life either so the way that it's stated in the book is that she was presented as a hopeless, shell-shocked lunatic. Yeah. But after her trial is over, she's sent back home because, like, no one knows what to do with her now that she's not really the Mockingjay anymore. Yeah. And she goes and lives in her house in Victor's village. Hamish goes and lives in his house while Plutarch is going around doing more television stuff. Right. And she's still in her grief and struggling, but Greasy Say from the black market is stopping by every day to feed her and give her some sort of normalcy. Right. But she doesn't really snap out of it until Peta shows up one day planting primrose 
outside. roses yeah. outside her house. Yeah. And that was like, like, you started to see Peta start to be like loving towards her at another level again. Yeah. Um, it was clearly done by the good side of Peta's heart. Like, I know that you will enjoy this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In honor of your sister. Yeah. Then we had the epilogue that you said you felt was unnecessary when we talked about it. Yeah, you start to see District 12 kind of like having people coming back and rebuilding their lives there a little bit, which I thought was good. Like, it was important to see that it wasn't just Peta and Hamish and her, and that's it again. Right. But also, you said that a lot of it felt like just showing us the choice between Peta and Gail. I think it was a closure for that. Because that really was the big question. It wasn't closed off in the actual book itself otherwise. Yeah. And personally, I felt like, as someone who has PTSD, I felt like it was a good exploration into how PTSD can still be there over such a period of time. Yeah. Because she talked about not having kids for 10 or 15 years after everything was over with the war. And she still has trouble and PETA still has trouble with everything that they've gone through. And I feel like it's a good representation of PTSD and how, like, you might get better, but it's never completely gone. And I felt like a lot of this book was about trauma and PTSD and what war does to people. And I feel like if you just cut it off where she makes it home and snaps out of it enough to like be a normal human being again, you take away a lot of what was set up earlier in the book. And I feel like it wouldn't have hit me personally as strong as it did Yeah. if you didn't have that like two page epilogue in there. I can see that. But as you know, I've marked up a lot of things in this book. So, like, this book is my favorite of the series. I would say the first book is probably my favorite of the three. And then I would put the third and then the second book. Okay. If I had to order them. I did really like the closure of the third book. I had a small discussion with one of my ex-employees who is a book fanatic. And it's funny, the like, basically the day after I finished the book, he came into the store and I was like, we need to talk for a few minutes. Yeah. But yeah, I, I don't know. It was... It was the closure that I wanted, I think, more so than anything. And I think that's why most people really enjoy it. Mm. And you had a good balance of action. And it really closes up a lot of things that you're forced to try to remember from the earlier books, which is important. A lot of people don't like Mockingjay. And I think it's just the fact that in the first two books, like, you're going through at least part of The Hunger Games. Yeah. And I feel like they don't appreciate, like, the world expanding outside of that and being about more than just, like, going through the Hunger Games over and over. But I think this series works better this way than if it was just, like, constantly every book about going into the Hunger Games. But for the final episode before our break, you're going to be reading the second volume of The Old Guard. Yes. The second bind-up. So comics 6 through 10, I believe. And then we'll discuss that. So I have to reread that this week as well. Oh, God. Oh, no. How horrible. Right. I don't know how you're going to feel about it because it's very different from, like, the movie and, like, the first bind-up. So. I'm excited either way because who doesn't like the old guard? Monsters. Crazy people. Yeah. But on that note, I think we're going to wrap it up for the day, guys. Make sure you're checking out all our social media, which will be linked in the show notes. And we'll catch you next Tuesday for a sports episode. I almost said book episode. I know you're excited about that. Books, books. Bye, guys. Bye.